Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Good evening everyone. Like Brown said, if you don't know me, my name is Renier. And all I'm doing tonight is just bringing what, what God has really laid on, on my heart for the last couple of weeks for, for this congrega- congregation. And I'm looking forward to, to what God wants to do in each of our hearts tonight. But in this time of preparation, there was two, two main topics of, which, which were struggling with one another and which I really pleaded with God saying, God, which way do you want us to go tonight? Do you want us to go in the, into the one side, which was a constant reminder of obedience and preaching into obedience and how does obedience look for us as a congregation and the other side or actually faith and the other side is obedience in in deeds so on the one side it was God really prompting me into that direction of what is faith and how does that look for us as a congregation and in our small group we've spoken at length about this in, in recent weeks and um, in in our small group this week someone said um, yes like Renier, I can't can't imagine like how we have so many different topics and everything boils back down to faith and God just reminded me in, in the sermon prep that that is what it's about. The reason why every topic boils back down to faith is because that's, that's essentially why we're here, because of our faith. And then on the other side of the spectrum, it was, cool, now we have faith, but now about the obedience, the deeds which we do. And how does those two come together? But luckily, I didn't have to decide whether we're going for faith or deeds, because we live in a new world where people think out words like, like Brexit, when Britain exits Europe, then you mix it together and you have Brexit. Or when you can't decide if you have breakfast or lunch, then you say brunch. So you can just mix words together. So we also mixed words together. I couldn't decide whether it's going to be faith or deeds, or faith and deeds, so we're going for feeds, which is basically faith and deeds. In Afrikaans, it worked a lot better this morning. It was geloofsomheid, gehoorsomheid en geloof. That was quite lekker. But tonight we'll have to settle for feeds. So essentially what we're going to, to do is we're going to start and look at faith and essentially what is, what is faith for us and how does that look for us in this season which we are in? And then next to that we're going to say, how does the deeds which we then action out of the faith look? And then at the end bring the two together and say, where do they meet one another? Where does faith and deeds meet one another? And hence the new definition which you will not find in the Bible or the vocabulary, ach, dictionary feeds. But before we get there, I want to tell you a story which is not in the Bible. Um, just an just a interesting side note story. Does anyone know who the guy in the red is? He does not play for the Vodacom Bulls, but he has bulls on his chest. But this is a very dangerous question to ask in South Africa. So does anyone know who the guy in the red is? I know it's a belief. Donkey. Michael Jordan. I was just banking on the people who was here this morning to save me if, if, if no one knew. So that's Michael Jordan. But now for all the smart people like I know who knows who that is, who's the guy next to him? That is indeed a great question. Ach, answer to the question. Phil Jackson. So Phil Jackson is or was the coach of Michael Jordan for, for many, many years. But there's a couple of quotes which Michael Jordan said about Phil Jackson, which really struck me, which really got my attention. And if you, if you don't know Michael Jordan, the backstory is he's the best. He's the best he's ever been. He's still regarded the best. And if I made this statement in America, then the LeBron James and the Kobe Bryant fans would have killed me. But Michael Jordan is the best and he's the best that ever was. There's no player ever like him. But he says this of his coach. He says, if Phil Jackson stops coaching, I stop playing. Just imagine that compliment. If the best player in the world 
says, if you stop coaching me, then I stop playing. And he did not only say this, he was very serious about this. When the, when the manager took away Phil Jackson's contract, and he said, sorry, we're finished with you, Michael Jordan said, well, get yourself another star player. And he also left. Until, and it went up to a point where, where the manager said, okay, sorry, sorry, let's just get the Phil guy back because we want Jordan to stay. That, that's, that's how serious he was about that. The second thing he said was, he changed the way I think, train, and play. Again, what a compliment that must be. If you think this guy is now the best in the world, and he says, one of the ways, or one of the reasons why I'm the best in the world is because this guy changed the way I think, train, and play. That is a bold and extremely powerful statement. The third thing he said was, he came to take the ball out of my hands, and I don't like it. He had some extra adjectives there, which I took out for the sake of church. But it came down to, he did not like the new, this new coaching style at the beginning. And it really made him, it, it made him angry. He's like, how can this be? And to give you the background on this, there was a specific game which, which the Chicago Bulls played where Michael, Michael Jordan scored, scored 63 points, a career, a world record. It was never done in the history as everyone ever scored 63 points in one game. If you don't know how many points that is with regards to basketball, don't worry, neither do I, but it's a lot. It's a record, okay? Just think of a record. It's a lot. So the commentator at one stage in that match said, that's 63 points by Jordan. At least he'll have something to celebrate tonight. And the reason he said that is because Jordan's team scored 103, and the Pistons who they played against scored 115. He made a record, a, a record contribution, but still his team lost. And then this guy came in, Phil Jackson came in, and Michael Jordan said, this guy took the ball from my hands, and I don't like it. But what he essentially did is he, he was there to give advice, to change the whole game plan, to change everything, to say, it doesn't help we have one guy that scores two-thirds of our, of our points, but we still lose. Something, something's got to change. But let's look at these three quotes in reverse and look if it, if it makes a little bit sense in a little bit of a different direction. If we first say, he came in to take the ball out of my hands, and I don't like it. That is pretty much early on in their relationship. Like, this guy came in, I scored records, and now he comes in and he changes stuff. I don't like it. But then after that, he says, he changed the way I think, train, and play. It's like, okay, that's, that's quite interesting. That it, it sounds a little bit more open-minded. This guy changed of how I think, train, and play, specifically in that order. First, how he thinks about the game, then, he, then that materialized in his deeds, the, playing, the training and playing. And then at the point in his career, he came to a stage where he said, if this guy stops coaching, I stop playing. He transformed from a guy who said, this guy's making me do stuff which I really don't like. There's a lot of sacrifice involved in here, and I don't like that. I've been good up until now. And then six seasons later, he says, yes, like, if this guy stops, then so do I. There's a, there's a specific piece of belief in this, in this coach's ability which Michael Jordan realized. And he realized, wow, it doesn't matter if this guy says, have less of the ball, or do less of this, or do more of that. I believe, I have a faith in this, guy's, in, in this guy's ability and how he sees the game of basketball. And I'm going to be obedient to it to such an extent that if he moves, I move. If he stops, I stop. But then one would think, like, how would, a, how would the best player in the world, why, why would he change? Why would he be obedient? Why in the world would he say, okay, you new coach, I will listen to you. And there's only two reasons why we will not listen to someone. We either don't believe them, 
believe in them, we don't have faith in them, or we don't believe that what they are saying is the best for us. Because if you, if you think of, this, of the Jordan example, if he believes that this guy's basketball knowledge is exceptional, and he also believes that this guy wants the best for him and his team, there's no reason for him not to believe. But if one of those two things breaks down, he either does not have faith in the guy's basketball ability or basketball sense, or he does not believe that the guy wants him to win. Then, then that, that faith in the person, that obedience starts breaking down. So what I want us to, to look into at f- uh, first is Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 1 is very well known as the, the definition of faith. But the rest of Hebrews actually colors in a lot more of, about faith. And it teaches us a lot about faith. So I first want to run us through a little bit of Hebrews, but I'm going to do it a, a little bit different than we, than we would generally do. Usually we would say, let's look at a piece of passage, we read through it, then we break it down, we discuss it, and we look how it interprets for us. But what I'm rather going to do tonight, because it's quite a long section which we're going to look, look at, is I'm going to go through, go through two verses at a time. Two verses, break it down, chat a little bit about it, and, and then go on as we make our way through Hebrews. In the hope that the, the parallels between the, the, the faith and the growing of faith and the examples of faith stick a little bit better. So here we go, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed and God's command, so that what is seen was not made out what was visible. Out what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now there we see a lot of examples of, or a lot of quotes on faith. By faith, this person did something. By faith, Noah built. By faith, he condemned. By faith, he sacrificed. But all of the second words in those sentences are verbs. It it is the do's. It is, they start with faith, the believing in, and by faith something happened, but then they materialize in an action. By faith, Noah started building an ark. But this continues. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of of the same promise. So here we see as well, Abraham went. Abraham, by faith, then went to the promised land. And if if you think a little bit about Abraham's faith, Abraham did not know what God's plan was for Isaac when he, when he took him with to, to offer him. But, what he, but the immense faith which he did have was one that said, although I don't see the outcome now, I have faith that God will bring his promise, promise, will bring his promise to truth. 
And that promise was that the entire world will be populated by the offspring of Abraham through Isaac. That was, that was God's words. And now, now Abraham knows that, yo, he said through Isaac, but now I have to kill Isaac. Like how? At that point, he does not see the plan. There's, there's, no, there's no physical way of interpreting this and saying that that makes sense. But the, we, then we are reminded again of the first verse, which said, faith is the conviction of things hoped for and believing in the things unseen. And Abraham knew that. He knew he could believe in, some, in something unseen. And the next verse breaks that down even further. He says, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she, or by faith Abraham, even though he was told, uh, too old to have children, and Sarah herself were not able to conceive, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. That is an immense piece of scripture. What that essentially says is that because Abraham knew that God has the ability to raise someone from the dead, and he believed that that is the truth, he said, God, I'm now sacrificing. In my mind, in my heart, I've already sacrificed Isaac. I have not maybe done it physically yet, but I've already sacrificed him knowing that you can bring him back from the dead. I am obedient and I will 100% be. That's a bold, bold place to be. But then what has to happen is his actions needs to follow his faith. And that's where God says, I see you. I see your faith. I see your heart. And I see that you've already made the sacrifice in your heart. And then God sends the lamb. But it doesn't, it doesn't stop with Abraham. The, the rest of the passage is littered with faith examples. By faith, Isaac then blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph then, when his when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Now think about this. Joseph has gotten word from God that God will lead his people out of, out of Egypt at some stage. And Joseph says, I believe this. I have faith in the promise which God has given me. And therefore, I'm going to say that whenever that happens, in my life or after my life, just take my body with. Because that's how much I believe. Put an action to the faith which I do have. I've already, I, I, I'm unsure of the timeline, but I'm sure of the one who gave the promise, and I will hold on to that with everything in me. By faith, Moses' parents hid him from, for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, if you think of this, there's one thing which, which happens in someone saying, I have faith that God is going to save my child. But what they did not do is then say, I have faith is going to save my child, Sidiso. He said, I have faith that God is going to save Moses, but now I have to take action on the conviction in my heart to ensure that that happens. And God, God tells them, I want you to hear him for three months. And I say, yes, sir, I will do. Yes, Lord, I will do. By my faith, my actions are inspired. 
and therefore I put action to, action to what God has convinced me about, and Moses is saved. By faith, Moses then, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now in the modern world, this will be something in the, in the line of, someone tells you, I have great news for you. There's an opening in one of the sheikhs in Dubai's uh, bloodline, and you fit the script. We can move you there. You can have everything. Never in your life again would you ask for something which you don't get. Never in your life will you have financial problems. Never in your life will the best doctor not be able to look after you. You'll be fine. The little side script is, yeah, you'll not be known as a Christian anymore, but we'll deal with that later. Like, you will be, you'll be treated like a prince. And Moses says, not a chance. I have faith in the God who provides, not in the provision which I can get. He says, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded this grace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So not only did he not have the treasures of, of the Egyptian kings and princes, but he also said, I'll rather be mistreated with the people who I believe knows the true God. And Lord, let I never, never back down from that position. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who, was, who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now just imagine this. Where, let's say, let's say um, Moses had a lot of faith but no deeds which followed it. It would have looked something as the follow. Lord, please save the Israelites tonight of, of the 10th plague which you're going to send. And then tomorrow morning, there's a lot of upset mothers. Like Moses, man. Just like. You had one job. God told you, please go and mark all the doors. And Moses was like, but God will save them. And God was, Moses, you have to go. I expect you that after you've, you've, you've succumbed in faith, now to be able to take action of the conviction which I placed on your heart. And if you don't do that, then your faith was not fulfilled because your, your faith needs to materialize in the deeds. And that is exactly what, what Moses showed us again and again. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Now, when the... Israelites passed through the Red Sea. I remember this, this child Bible image of the, the dry ground and the walls of water, but there's something which we missed there. The miracle performed by Moses is great, and God providing for his people is great. But if I, if I am not sure that the God who opened that sea can keep it there, I'm not putting foot next to that wall of water. There's no chance. Just imagine. That was not a, a two or a three meter wave. That was probably a 50 or 100 meter wall of water. And now suddenly someone tells you, you see that water being kept up by, well, nothing? Let's walk past it. It can collapse on you at any time. The only reason you can walk, the only reason whatsoever, there's no other explanation is, I believe that the God who did that can fulfill that and can keep that. If you don't believe that with your whole heart, there's no way you're setting foot in the middle of the Red Sea. So if the Israelites did not believe, if they did not have a faith in God, they would not have taken the action to go. 
But a little bit later, it becomes a little bit easier to, to bail out our faith, a little bit more difficult to fulfill your faith. But in the next example, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Now suddenly, you don't have an army behind you forcing you to go through the Red Sea. Now it's all, almost a case of, if I want to walk around Jericho, I can. And if I don't want to, yeah. But I, I trust the Lord. I'm not going to fire one bullet I'm not going to do one thing. I'm not going to touch the wall even. All I'm going to do is in faith walk around it because I know that God has done all these miracles. who's just sent 10 plagues through, through Egypt, opened the wall in the Red Sea, provide us food from heaven. That God, I believe in that God. And because I believe in that God with everything in me, I know that just by simply walking around this wall, this wall will tumble. 100% believe that. That is faith and that, is fa- and that, and that it shows us that even and only even when we believe, then these actions start materializing. By faith, the prostitute Rahab became welcomed by spies. Actually, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So now suddenly, it is someone who's not part of God's people. It's someone who we don't necessarily interact with in, in church every day. A prostitute from a, from a different country. But what we, what we read in the Word is that by faith, she took in God's spies. She looked after them. But she took them in nonetheless. It would, be, it would have been easy to say, I have faith, please don't kill me. But an action followed her faith when she said, I have faith and I will take you in. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and I always get this one wrong, Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets. And we can go on, there are many examples. We've spoken about Esther at length uh, more recently. And all of those examples are ones of someone saying, I'm going to put out my faith, I'm going to lay down, I'm going to believe with everything in me, and then action, what is being prompted on my heart. And then action, that conviction, and put a deed to my faith. Now all these just mentioned through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, like in Daniel's case, or quenched the fury of the flames, like Brown shared with us last last week of Sadrach, Mesach, and Abagnehu, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. All of this started through faith. Each of those examples, each of the stories which you can read there starts with, and through faith they, they came to God and said, God, we trust you with everything. Just like we trusted that you could keep a wall of water up, just like we, we trust that you can send, uh, that you can save the Israelites um, if, from Egypt, just like that trust, that faith which we have in you, we now trust that you can save us through or guide us through all these things and then give us direction on what to do when we do have that faith. A couple of uh, we, months ago, my wife and I had a, a, a long discussion with, with someone really close to us who said, Renier, I'm not coming to church. I cannot again give my life to Jesus and sit here six months later and nothing has changed. And my heart broke because I just realized he said he's given his life to God three times. And he says, Renier, I can give you the dates. I can give you exactly. This was the first time I gave my heart to Jesus. Nothing changed. This is the second time I gave my heart to Jesus. Nothing changed. This is the third time I gave my life to Jesus. You were there. Nothing changed. And our hearts broke. We were 
We were struck down hearing someone deliberately and honestly turn from faith saying that if this is what giving my heart to Jesus looks like and nothing changes thereafter, I'm not willing to do it anymore. The truth there behind is there is no way we can give our lives to Jesus and nothing changes. That is impossible. When we do proclaim to have given our lives to Jesus and nothing changed, the truth is we did not. If we go back to that earlier definition, why would Michael Jordan listen, listen to a new coach? The only reasons he would not listen to him is either he does not fully believe in him or he does not fully believe that what the coach wants for him is the best. Now the ultimate life coach, which we all can abide in, I can promise that he wants the best for us. That one of those two are ruled out. He tells us in his word that he plans, his plans for us are prosperous. He loves us with everything. So the only other option that we can, which justifies us not changing after giving our lives to Jesus is that we did not really give it. If we go to, to James 2, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? The important word there is claims, not faith. Suddenly it brings an entire different context. What good is it if someone claims to have faith? In other words, if someone does not really have faith, they just say they do. If someone deliberately or, or by accident has said the right things but never surrendered to God, what good is that? And they have no deeds. Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what is good in, in it? The truth is that if there's no change from before I give my life to Christ until after I've given my life to Christ, I have not given my life to Christ. That, that is the truth. And the, the confirmation thereof is we all will happily and, and um, uniformly agree that God is perfect. He is absolutely perfect. And we are sinful and far from perfect. And if we then pray and say, Lord, make me more like you, then what has to happen is we need to come closer to that perfection. In other words, we have to change. There's no way I'm getting closer to God by staying exactly how I am. Change is necessary. And if we don't have that change, if we don't welcome that change, then we have not given our lives to Jesus. We have not given our lives to Christ. does not matter what we have proclaimed. And then we have seen this, um, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds. And then the sad examples of someone saying, I've given my life to Christ three times. Nothing has changed. It starts making sense. Because maybe what has happened is, I've said stuff which sounded good three times, but I've not changed anything from my side. In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. Now what should be, what's very important here to define very, very early on is that what this verse does not say is you have faith and then when you do actions, then you justify your way into heaven. That is not what it says. What it does say is by faith you are saved. But the test of true faith 
is the materialization of deeds. One cannot have real faith if it does not become deeds. And that is, that is absolutely impossible. Therefore, it says, in the same way, faith by itself, it, um, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. And that is because it is not true faith. That is, what, that is what the Word teaches us here. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Then show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And that is a very, very important concept for us to drive home wherever we go. I give you my deeds. I, the deeds which I, which I have and which I action comes from my faith. It is inspired by my faith and therefore the deeds flow out of me. And that is everything which I do comes from that conviction which I have in faith. But the deeds does not save me. The deeds are, is just a materialization of what has happened in my heart, the true faith. And if someone then says, but nothing has changed after, after I've given my life to Christ, then the truth is that I have not given, you have not given your life to Christ. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham, and again we see this great example of faith, considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And we can stop there. If that's where we stop tonight, his faith and his actions were working together, then it's golden. Because that's exactly where we're getting to. If you we, if we think back about where we started at feeds, faith and action, faith and deeds. That's exactly it. Faith without deeds is dead. But Abram shows that his faith and his actions worked together. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. And he was called God's friend. What a privilege. If someday God will call me his friend, yes, that's a place to be. And the only way that happened was first through faith and then the conviction of my deeds will follow the faith which I have. You see that the person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. So what we see here is that faith is a very intangible thing. It's something hard to measure. So if I say, I have faith, at that point, it means very little to anyone around me who's in the congregation with me, who wants to keep me accountable, who wants to walk a road with me. But the moment I tr truly surrender to God and actions start flowing from this faith, which I proclaim I do have, then suddenly I can say, wow, I can now see that first I was one way, now I'm another, and it's Christ which changed me to be there. But if I did not change, I am still the person I was before I gave my heart to Christ. And that is not a safe person. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them on a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So in the week, two, oh, actually two days ago, our three-year-old at home starts asking me questions out of the blue. We had a, a husky which passed away at the end of last year. Uh, his name was Mirka, and, and he starts asking me, can Mirka still blink her eyes? It's like, yes, like. Like, first of all, where does the question come from? Dude, that's quite a specific question. And three, I would love to know, like, just, like, what's going on in your heart at this point? Are you sad? Are you thinking? Is it just like a, can she still blink her eyes? And I start my answer with, she's dead, so. And then I give a big explanation. And then 
about after five minutes of a proper explanation, I can see him being focused, and I'm so proud that he's listening after five minutes still because it doesn't often happen. But after five minutes of a proper explanation, he, he says, but what does dead mean? And I was like, yes. Okay, so now we like backpedal. I started on a definition which he does not understand. So now we need to first cover the definition of what does dead mean? And then we can go everywhere again. So we start with, okay, what dead means? And then I try a couple of avenues and, and I just realized like, it doesn't help you sugarcoat this. Like, America has jobs too. Like, and we eventually end with, America can make no contribution to life ever again. She's gone. Like physically, there's nothing which she can do. You will not see her. She will not do something. She can't blink. She can't walk. She can't run. She can't do anything. And I was this close to saying she's useless now. But I stopped there. I stopped just before it. In this explanation, knowing what is on the slides for today, I realized that's probably one of the best explanations to explain what the world has taught us is faith, which is a lie. If we look at the last sentence, as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It means that if we truly give our lives to God and we say, I have faith in the one who created me, but my life has not changed, there's no actions running from that change, then my faith is as dead as last year's Husky. There's no other way of saying it. If I did not change after giving my life to Christ, then I did not give my life to Christ. But closer to home, what is also true is, if I am not hungry to change now, I'm saying one of two things. I'm either saying, I am already perfect just like Jesus Christ, or I am saying, I have no drive in me to be more like Jesus Christ. The one is a place which you don't want to be a prideful place where God teaches us in, J in James 1 verse 5, he said, God's God opposes the proud and has grace for the humble. So on the one side it is, if I have no eagerness in me to change now, I'm either prideful in saying, I'm already like Christ, so I don't need to change, or I have no drive in me to become more like Christ, which means I cannot be tell, be, uh, call myself a believer. If I have no drive to become more like Christ, I cannot count myself as a believer, as part of the body of Christ, because we are constantly called to become more like Christ, to be little Christ-like ones. That's, that's Christians in this world. So the truth is, when we gave our lives to Christ, in faith, we started something new, and that materialized in actions, which had to bring change in our lives. And every day from there on, little changes, maybe sometimes big changes, needed to happen. And if we are not willing to bring changes to our sometimes close to perfect lives or comfortable lives, then we are in an extremely, extremely dangerous place, a place where God challenges us to say, you are deceived by either pride or by the fact that you thought you gave your life to me if you have no hunger to change anymore. There's a company called Enron. There was a company called Enron. Enron had more or less 40,000 employees. And these, those four words there in the middle was in, up in their foyer in their main headquarters. It said, we believe in integrity, communication, respect, and excellence. But the guy there on the right is a CEO 
who is currently in prison for fraud. And next to him in prison sits the CFO, also in prison for fraud. But how can someone who believes in integrity, communication, respect, and excellence be in prison for fraud? That does not make sense. Like they, there's, there's, there's nothing which helps understand integrity and fraud in the same sentence. It just does not make sense. If I believe in integrity, how can I be in prison? And the truth is because the action, I did not really believe in that because my actions spoke of corruption. What I, what I say I believe is irrelevant if my actions say something else. If I proclaim God's name and say, I am a Christian, I believe in Christ, but my actions show something different, I'm in hot water, I'm in I'm an extremely, extremely dangerous place. Because God says, one day people will call at me, Jesus, Jesus, I know you, and I will look at you and say, well, I do not know you. And these are that, one of those examples where people say, these are the things I believe in, although my actions is something completely different. And that landed them in prison, but that will land us in hell. There's no other way of saying it. Say, it doesn't matter what I say I believe, True faith materializes in actions. And if my actions does not, does not testify of exactly what Jesus wants from us, then I must maybe start re-evaluating where my heart really lies. What, what is really happening in my heart? And that is the, 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 um, the marrying of Hebrews 11, which teaches us about true faith. And then James, James 2, which tells us about the deeds which flow from that faith. The deeds does not save us, but the deeds is a materialization of what? Materialization of what we actually do believe in. To close out, there's a section in, or a part in John 3 which says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is a verse which, which we've all seen, or a lot of us have seen a lot. But I want to highlight two words. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We all understand that. And I think it's, 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 it's very easy to say, yes, I believe that. But the second sentence says, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. The ESV says, whoever is disobedient to the Son will not see the eternal life. Or the, the other translation says, but whoever does not do what the son asked him to do will not see the life. Now suddenly it says, the first one says, you have to believe, and then the second one says, but those who are not obedient, like the same happens to them. The one that does not believe will not see the eternal life, but also the one that is not obedient will not have the eternal life. So what that then tells us is, God sees this as exactly the same thing. Believing, for whoever believes in the son has the eternal life, but whoever rejects what he needs to do, whoever rejects, whoever is disobedient, that person also will see the eternal life. Because Jesus, God teaches us that that is one thing. Believing and then your actions flowing from it is literally one thing. We cannot believe and then not action, not be obedient to what God places on our hearts. Because then we are just exactly where we were before we gave our lives to Christ. We did not believe, and therefore there was no actions. And now suddenly we say, we are believing, but there are no actions. That, that is not possible. And God teaches us here, it's not only the faith, but those who, will, who, don't, who do not have faith will not see the eternal life. And also, those who are not obedient will not see the eternal life. Because th that obedience flows from faith. There's a series called Chosen. And very early on in the series, there's a beautiful piece which, which Mary Magdalene says, she says, I was one way, and now I am different. 
Oh, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. For me, that's, that is the true definition of giving your life to Christ. First I was one way, now I am completely different. And the thing that was in between is Jesus Christ. And how do you measure being different? The measuring of, am I actually different, is very easy in what I do every day, how I do those things, the actions which I take, the actions which is inspired through my faith. And when God says that you will be saved through faith, I think it's one of the, the, the best things, the, the best, best things which we can hear. But what we can't allow is to say that faith is anything which I'm willing to proclaim. If someone on the street says, I have faith, and someone in church says, I have faith, and someone on the rugby field says, I have faith, and someone in Syria, just because he wants to, looks around and says, oh, I have faith, and, and then suddenly quiets down again, we cannot make that faith cheap because God says, your faith will change you. If it does not, if, if your faith is without works, it is dead, like last year's Husky. That's, it, that's exactly what it tells us. There's no way that we can have faith without actions. And those actions are measured before Christ versus after Christ. And the only thing which brought that change was Christ. I thought to myself many times that if I have to sit with that young man again now and have the same conversation with him, what, what will I ask him? What will, how will it look different than it did previously? In that chat where he said, I'm not interested anymore. I've given my life to God three times. I'm not doing this again. Nothing changed. And I really pleaded with God to say, God, how does that conversation look? Because what I realize is that that person is not alone. He's not the only person who, who has proclaimed God's name, but still has not changed anything since before he gave his life to Christ. And what God just wants us to do is two things. To ask him, God, what can I, what can I repent of? And then repent. And also ask, where can I change? And create accountability to ensure that change. So I want to invite you into, just close your eyes for, for two minutes. And ask God, short one-liner, what can I repent of? And what God is placing on your heart now, I want to invite you in to repent of that. I want to invite you to, to repent of that specific thing which God is placing on your heart now. If maybe you're sitting there thinking that at this point, I'm privileged to not have something to repent of. I want to warn you that you're in an extremely dangerous place place where, where we might say, I'm already perfect. I'm already like Christ. So I want to invite you for a second time to ask God, God, what can I repent of? And that dif difficult thing, maybe, maybe some, the thing we're dancing around, the thing we don't like. So that God, I will repent of this. 
if you have already repented, I want to invite you also to a second time of repentance to say, God, show me what more I can repent of. Because I know I'm not perfect. Then second to that, ask God the following question. God, where can I change? What of me can change? If there is nothing, I'm either already like Christ or I have no eagerness to be more like Christ. But we're saying tonight that God, I want to change. Lord, come with godly convictions on my heart. Rebuke the spirit which tries to, to draw attention away of those important things which need to be addressed now. God, where can I change? If these two questions are difficult for you, you're doing it right. If you are not answering these two questions, you're doing it wrong. If you're sitting here thinking that maybe that word is a little bit harsh, the truth is that the word is harsh. God did bring this word, God did bring his word to be harsh. He said that for those of you who will call to me, Jesus, Jesus, my Savior, for some of you I'll say, I do not know you. I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to continue and, and invite us into, into a, a next step of, of just opening our hearts to, to God. Dear Lord, I just rebuke, Lord, any sense of pride or any sense of attention which is drawn away from the importance which you want to give to us tonight, Lord, of actioning our faith, Lord. We declare that we have faith in you, the creator of the world, the creator of us, Lord. And we declare, Lord, that we want to see change and we want to see that change every day. It is not good enough for us to have only seen change maybe once or twice, Lord, but we want to see change in our hearts, Lord. Let us not be conformed to the passions of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, Lord. And let our faith alone not stand there isolated on an island, but let it materialize in actions, Lord, in deeds, Lord. Because faith without deeds you've taught us tonight is dead, Lord. Let us not proclaim four fantastic values on a wall somewhere and our deeds report of something completely different, Lord. Because the jail cells of this world is nothing compared to the flaming hot hell which we might find ourselves in if we do live to dif in different ways, Lord, than we proclaim the faith which we do have. Lord, I ask that, that tonight, Lord, you come and open hearts, Lord, for, for hearts which have have slowly, slowly flowed away from you, Lord, because of actions not coming out of faith. Lord, I also pray for strong godly convictions, Lord, to come, for, to come on hearts, Lord, to, to be able to declare, Lord, that not only do I believe, but I take action on what I believe. So if you came with someone tonight, or you trust the person you sit next with, I, I want to invite you to share one thing with that person. The answer on your question, God, where can I change? 
and create that accountability with the person next to you. Because there's no reason for us not to change starting tonight. Maybe it's something small, maybe it's something massive. Maybe it's for the first time really giving our hearts to Christ. Or maybe it's just changing the way we treat our spouse. But change we do want and change we do need. So I just want to ask you for the next five minutes, are we going to continue here in worship? To just share with the person next to you one thing which God is convicting of you to change. After that, you're welcome to go grab a coffee there at the back, but, but use this time for God to bring change, for God to bring repentance, and for our actions to flow from the faith which we proclaim we do have.